Eagles Entertainment. Eagle on the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. You're listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right. Another week, and we're continuing to get you ready for Wild Card Weekend and Eagles Bucks as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 386. At the top of today's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with my friend Ben Fennel, where we catch up and share our thoughts on this Eagles upcoming matchup against the Tampa Bay Bucks and what will be one of many memorable playoff battles between these two franchises. You go back, I was thinking about this, the early 2000s, the amount of times the Eagles and the Bucks faced each other, especially in the wild card round. Uh, really fun uh, battles historically between these two franchises. After Chalk Talk, we're going to transition to Scouting Report, where Ben and I are going to focus in on one of the impact players for this defensive front for Tampa Bay, and that's rookie pass rusher Joe Tryon. What has he shown this season as a rookie? And we also share our thoughts on what we saw from him coming out of Washington this spring. Then to close out the show in faux focus, I chat with somebody who we spoke with actually earlier this season, our first repeat guest here on faux focus. That's John Ledyard, who covers the Bucks for Pewter Report. John and I talk about the Bucks from their vantage point heading into this game. Before we get there, a couple things we want to make sure we hit on. Number one, make sure you go check out the Journey to the Draft podcast, wherever podcast we found. We recapped the national title game between Alabama and Georgia this week earlier. Uh, ben, myself, Dane, uh, we checked and broke it all down. So make sure you go check that out wherever podcasts can be found. And also make sure you go on and rate and review this show, the Eagle Island Sky podcast. Uh, if you've got a question about this Eagles team, go on, leave it there in the comment box. We'll answer it here in an upcoming episode. Uh, really good stuff this week uh, over on the Journey to the Draft podcast. And we've got, uh, I've been spending actually all afternoon plotting out the next couple of months on that show. So you want to make sure you go over and hit subscribe. Subscribe. You get that show sent to your podcast device twice weekly from now up until April's draft. That said, uh, let's get this show rolling. Excited to get into uh, this Eagles Bucks matchup here with Ben Fennel. It's time for Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. All right, time to dive deep into this matchup between the Eagles and the Bucks with my friend Ben Fennell. And as always, Ben, uh, we're going to start this conversation kind of through the the lens of this week's episode of Eagles Game Plan, which was a lot of fun to put together, uh, talking with Mike and Ike and Greg and John and just kind of crystallizing our thoughts on this matchup. So many layers to this. And I guess a lot of it, too, looks at how both of these two teams have changed since they last faced each other back in week six. And we'll start uh, with the Eagles defense side of the ball going up against Tom Brady and this Bucks offense. And I guess that's my first question for you. Uh, the the change in the Eagles defense, I know you and I both went back and watched that film from week six, that, that uh, Thursday night football game uh, between the Eagles and the Bucks. The Eagles defense has changed a lot uh, since that point over the last couple of months. Yeah, I mean, two months ago, I mean, in NFL time, two months is an eternity. Yeah. Just think about where the league was and who was, uh, you know, started hot and we thought were contenders. And two months later, narratives changed completely. And that happens with schemes and happens with, uh, you know, season kind of directions. And at that point in the season, week six, Eagles playing a lot of zone coverage, a lot of soft coverage on the outside, still a rotational linebacking group with Davion Taylor and Eric Wilson mixed in with Singleton and TJ Edwards. Yep. Uh, you know, so there's a lot kind of different schematically uh, with how that defense approached the game on a week-to-week basis. Spin forward 12 weeks now as we sit here ahead of wildcard weekend. We're seeing a lot more man coverage, 
a lot more dime personnel and some sub packages by Jonathan Gannon, seeing obviously a uh, consistency at the linebacking core where it's pretty much been TJ and Alex Singleton over the last month, month and a half. Uh, and we're seeing a lot more creativity on third down, whether it's coverage disguise or whether it's some exotic blitz schemes. So I think this Eagles team and Jonathan Gannon have really grown throughout the season um, and cleaned up a lot of those kind of shortcomings uh, in the early parts. Yeah, I think uh, you know when you look at it really at all three levels, when you're looking at the coverage, uh, linebacker personnel, and then what they're doing with the creativity in front, especially on third down, uh, just a, a complete metamorphosis of this defense and what they looked like back in week six versus uh, week 19. Uh, so, so different, like you said, an eternity in NFL time. Uh, so let's get over it. Obviously, there's some changes on the other side of the football as well with uh, the Tampa Bay Bucks and their offense. And from a personnel standpoint, that's where the big changes are because nothing has really changed philosophically, schematically with this group. I think when you look at uh, no Rob Gronkowski, in that game that Thursday night, but no Antonio Brown, no Chris Godwin. Instead, we'll see, uh, I guess it'll be Tyler Johnson in the slot, and it looks like Rashad Perriman uh, on the outside. That's a, that's a big difference for the scouting report. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously not having his full arsenal of weapons out there, um, but he still has his main two, and Mike Evans and Rob Gronkowski, so you got to make sure you account for them and find out where they line up, and they line up all over the formation does a really good job in trying to confuse defenses and get some advantageous matchups uh, just through pre-snap alignment. So Mike Evans, Rob Gronkowski, I think are more than capable of shouldering the load. And don't sleep on some of those role players, whether it's Tyler Johnson, um, whether it was you know guys like Scotty Miller making big catches in the NFC Championship game last year, or even guys like Cameron Brait and some of those next-year stars on the team. This is a big opportunity for somebody to step up. And you know if you end up on the field with Tom Brady, he trusts you. You have a rapport with him. It's been things that you worked on in practice. If you're even in the huddle with Tom Brady, he believes in you. So this is just an opportunity for maybe a not-so-mainstream name to make a name for himself. And remember, uh, the names that uh, Tom Brady often worked with in, in New England uh, weren't always the, the household names. So it's something to keep in mind. <laughs> it's been known to happen for Tom Brady to make some names of those yes. uh, receivers on the other he, hand. He could be that kingmaker for that skill position player. <laughs> um, well, let's go over to, uh, I guess, talking about Tom Brady and his role, his execution, uh, what he still does in this offense, the way that he executes this, this scheme is, uh, is really something it's really kind of fun to watch. Uh, the numbers, I think crystallize that perfectly, but just watching the tape and going through that, it's a, it's a lot of fun as well. Well, he really makes you kind of think about the quarterback position in general. And he's really the outlier now of everyone needs a second reaction quarterback and need a quarterback with athleticism and to get out of trouble when things break down. Well, Tom Brady's on 20 plus years of pretty much playing from a two by two box in the pocket. And he's doing it not in a conservative approach. He's still very aggressive. So he gets the ball out on time in structure, rarely drifts in the pocket, rarely looks to extend the play, but that doesn't mean he's checked down Charlie. He's a guy still pushing the ball down the field aggressively. So what does that mean? He knows where to go with the football on a down to down basis. He's seen everything. There isn't a new scheme created in the NFL from week to week where he says, wait a minute, I've never seen that coverage. And every coverage has vulnerabilities. And he is so good at finding out what those vulnerabilities are. It's really, really impressive. But also the schematic things that help him get the ball out quickly. So things like bunches, which Tampa Bay is 
second in the league in bunches. What does bunches do? Allows receivers to have free access into the defense. That prevents jams and things like that that throw off the timing, which then throw off the quarterback's ability to get the ball out. And also can, like, dictate, can dictate coverage as well, where you know no what question. these punch checks are. You have an idea. Yeah, of what and that, that was my next point, is they're very high and shifts in motion. Yep. And what does that do? Gives Tom Brady pre-snap information about what you're doing defensively, which helps him get the ball out and know where to go with the football. It's really, really impressive. And I've been talking about for a couple of years now, whether I was studying Nate Solder, who got the big deal to go to the Giants, whether it's Trent Brown, got the big deal to go to the Raiders, and now he's back in New England, uh, or even like Tristan Wirfs or guys like that. This is an offensive lineman's dream job. Why? Because of all those things I just mentioned. Doesn't hold the ball. Never drifts out the back door where speed rushers are kind of up the field. Never f- drifts into pressure. Never says, oh, wait, look, that pass rusher gave up his rush lane. I'm going to take those free yards and try to run. He plays the quarterback position at its purest form as a pocket passing distributor. And it's really, really fun to watch. It's a great situation for offensive linemen. And it is a tough, tough business trying to stop this guy. Well, and I think going back, I think you did a good job of kind of bringing that back to your original point, right? And this is a a league now where you're seeing the, the quarterback position played where you need those second reaction plays. To me, I think my answer, and you and I have talked about this so often, especially during the offseason, you're talking about developing uh, developing young quarterbacks and, and what that takes, what that looks like, how long that process is. I think when you have a, a quarterback who now has been in the league for four, five, six, seven, eight years, and now you've got that mental Rolodex of what teams are doing for you, now you have that ability to say, all right, I'm, I'm going to win from this 9 by 9 box. What have we seen from Dak Prescott over the years, right? Dak Prescott uh, in the past, had that ability to make plays outside of structure, and that, and that was a part of his game. And obviously, they leaned heavily into Ezekiel Elliott and the run game, and that was the, the focal point. That was the driving force of the Cowboys' offense. Now, when you look at uh, Dak Prescott, he's got that ability to be that that trained assassin from the pocket, and he know he's making all the pre-snap checks. He knows what defenses are trying to throw at him, right? So I think when you look at Tom Brady, the reason why he is the alien, the reason why he is the, the outlier uh, is because – he is the elder statesman. Uh, John Clark uh, dropped that great stat that this is the the, the largest gap uh, in terms of age from starting quarterbacks in the playoffs from Jalen Hurts to Tom Brady. Uh, this is the guy that's playing, I think, is what is this, his 46th playoff start? Just yeah. insane, the, the, the amount of uh, of games this guy has played at such a high level. And I think that that, is, that, that experience, that's why he's able to, to play the way that he does. And in a conversation I have uh, throughout the season with some of my buddies, If you're somebody that feels like you can only get put into the elite conversation of quarterback play once you win a Super Bowl, you have to prove you go all the way, then you kind of get pushed into that conversation. And there's a lot of people that believe that. Yep. Tom Brady, Fran, has single-handedly thrown off our ability to evaluate quarterbacks. He's been so successful, so dominant. It has left us in a confusion state in evaluating the other quarterbacks. Guys like Matthew Stafford, Philip Rivers, Tony Romo, guys where all intents and purposes, these are Super Bowl caliber quarterbacks. They could have won Super Bowls, but because guys like Tom Brady absolutely cornered the market of championships, it's really thrown off the entire landscape of evaluating quarterbacks. Because mm. what does everyone look at Philip Rivers right now? Yep. Really good quarterback, uh, never went all the way. Well, he played in the Tom Brady era, in the Peyton Manning era. 
where they cornered 85 to 90 percent of the Super Bowl trophies, you know, in that era. So I think it's a really fun discussion to talk about his longevity, talk about the collective state of quarterbacking, you know, and what he's done because of his success and his style of success, I think is really fun to look at. Um, There's so many different caveats to the conversation of Tom Brady. He is an incredible quarterback, the greatest quarterback to ever play. And now the conversation is, where do you rank him among the greatest, most dominant athletes with the Jordans and Tiger Woods and you know, Mike Tyson's and those types of guys? Really, really fun. And you have to just step back and kind of appreciate what you're watching. So let's talk about this just from in terms of stylistically the way Tampa plays the game and the way the the way that this offense is drawn up. They're taking Brady out of it. Uh, this is a team with uh, Bruce Arians. They want to be able to push the football down the field. They're going to take deep shots. That, that, that They are going to be aggressive. But what is unique about that is with Brady's style is that this is not going to be, hey, we're going to attack downfield and the quarterback's going to hold the football for four and a half, five seconds. This is going to be, hey, we're going to, he's going to sit back off one rocker step and he's going to let that bad boy go. Um, so the ball's coming out fast, but it's still being pushed down the field. This isn't Ben Roethlisberger drop back and it's going three yards past the line of scrimmage. He's going to push it vertically. Now, they're also a big screen game uh, team as well. And so the screens are going to get mixed in there. But at the end of the day, this is an offense that wants to be able to push it. That's why you see all these receivers that are get that get brought into that team. They're all guys that can run. Cyril Grayson can run. Scotty Miller can run. Right? They, these are all guys that you know. Even the, the bottom of the depth chart, they draft Jalen Darden here in the fourth round this year out of North Texas. This guy can run. So it's all these guys that have that ability to push vertically, and he's going to let them go and try and make plays at the third level of the field. Yeah, and that's what I mean when I I would always tongue in cheek call offenses hero ball. Now, hero ball is purely a moniker to talk about the stress and the responsibility that certain offenses put on the quarterback. And hero ball speaks to the lack of help that certain offenses give their quarterback. There isn't a whole lot of schematic help. I mentioned the bunches and the shifts to help Brady get that ball out quickly. This is a team that doesn't run the ball a ton. They don't move the pocket. They don't rely on play action. They don't do RPOs. All those things that kind of help guys get open. They don't use that with Tom Brady and Bruce Arians. He's getting the ball out fast, which under two and a half seconds leads the NFL in completion yards, touchdowns, but still it's the third most deep pass attempts. He's a higher depth of target than Rodgers and Mahomes and Herbert and Dak Prescott, guys that push the ball down the field. Tom Brady does it more than them. So it's really fun just to look at that whole style and, you know, in bringing this back to the Eagles offense, completely different styles. So there's a metric called run and play action rate. Okay. So how often are you running the ball and using play action? So pretty much run action style of offense. Tampa Bay, last in the NFL, I was gonna say, 44%. Yep. Eagles, first in the NFL at 66%. You have the full list in front of you? Oh, yeah. And the teams around the Eagles, it goes Eagles, 49ers, Titans, Niners. Yep. Okay. Run-based teams, play action. Who is the other side? All the hero ball offenses, Bucks. Chargers, Raiders, Chargers. Exactly. Yes, exactly. The teams that don't run the ball, don't use play action. Hmm. They're just the teams. That's a little bit more of a hero ball offense. It's tough on a week to week basis for those quarterbacks. So it's really impressive what Tom Brady's doing. 
All right, so let's look at this now from the, the scope of how you try and, and slow that pass game down. And you and I have watched a lot of Bucks offense over the last couple of days. Uh, obviously, we keep tabs on them throughout the course of the season, but watched a ton over the And we, you and I both watch uh, that, what that Saints defense has done. And Dennis Allen has had so much success over the last couple of years going up against Brady and Bruce Arians together. Um, so in your mind, what is the, the, the secret sauce? I mean, we hate to use the word blueprint, uh, but what, is, what has been the consistency we have seen, not just from the Saints, but from other defenses that have had some success against Tom Brady in the passing game? Well, there's a couple things you need to do. Obviously, changing the pre- and post-snap picture and trying to get him to hesitate while he's reading coverages and moving pictures from pre- to post-snap. Anytime you get him to hitch, clutch, just give a second of delay, just gives your coverage a chance. And then conversely, rerouting and jamming these guys and throwing off the timing from the other perspective on the outside, I think is really important too. Um, blitzing, throw out blitzing because it's not going to get home, but I would like to throw some pressure in his face. Maybe just try to get him off the spot. He is so big though. He is so tall, has such a high release. He can throw over all the who's who long guys up front in the NFL. So he's a really freak specimen in Tom Brady as well. The other thing Dennis Allen's got some dogs. Yes. I mean, Cam Jordan is a heck of a football player. I mean, oh, there's only so many teams that have Definitely. guys like Marshawn Lattimore and Malcolm Jenkins to match up with guys like Mike Evans and Rob Gronkowski. That's pretty special combination of man cover guys right there that a lot of teams don't have that luxury. So Dennis Allen, while he deploys some really good schemes, he's got some good players to use as well. Yeah, I think the big thing, and you mentioned you know, just changing the picture, there are a lot of ways to be able to do that. And I often reflect back to uh, one of the things that you say a lot is when you see defenses uh, utilize a three-man rush, well, a three-man rush doesn't have to be passive. And it's almost that same kind of idea. But if you're going to say, okay, look, we're gonna, we don't want to blitz Brady. That, that's useless, right? But just because you're going to play four-man rush doesn't mean that has to be a passive four-man rush. You can show that's what, one of the things you see from the Saints. We saw it this past week, week 18, with the Carolina Panthers. There's going to be five guys in the line of scrimmage, six guys, sometimes seven guys up on the line of scrimmage. And maybe the, the pre-snap looks, looks like it's, hey, it looks like this is going to be one high. It looks like it's going to be cover one, some kind of zone coverage or man coverage. And now all of a sudden, three of those guys drop out, four of those guys drop out, and now it's cover two, right? So you had a, a pre-snap look up front and a pre-snap look in the secondary that was completely different post-snap. Now, Brady's going to see it, but he's gonna, you're going to make him go through and have to make those uh, mental changes. That's the whole, the ball's not coming out in 1.8. It's coming out in 2.9. Right, absolutely. And before we put the Brady conversation to bed, how am I defending Tom Brady personally? I am playing two-man off the bus mm. right into the locker room post game. I am saying, Brady, run the ball all day. We will give you an even number box. Please, please hand the ball off. 90% of the time. We would love to get the ball out of your hands. And then two-man coverage, two deep safeties, giving half-field help, very aggressive man coverage underneath where you can jam them at the line of scrimmage and then play into a trail technique. Now, where is that defense stressed? Not in coverage. Those guys are jamming and have help over the top. The real test will be the linebackers. TJ Edwards, Alex Singleton, if it's a two-man defense, which we really haven't played a lot of, that means even numbers in the box against the run. So we're daring Tom Brady to hand the ball off. Well, if Leonard Fournette rips off five, six a carry, we're done. So yeah. it puts a lot of stress on those linebackers. But at the end of the day, I'm playing too deep and doing everything I can to say, get the ball out of Brady's hand and run it. And if you do want to throw it, we are going to throw off all the timing on the outside with jamming 
and he, and even if it's not the two man, even if it is some of those uh, those match coverages, those zone con- the zone principles where it's going to be from two high looks. So if it's going to be uh, some kind of full cover four match or some kind of cover six match, you're going to have uh, those moving bodies. You still have a lot of those same things. It may not just be from a a man coverage uh, yeah. staple, right? It might be not be from that family, but uh, I think and, and all that middle hole stuff is good too. The one yeah. robber, the one lurk, the one hole stuff, which hilarious game clinching play last time in week six if you remember perfect coverage call yeah robber right to the middle antonio brown's running the inbreaker all of a sudden the guy that doesn't extend the play ever tom brady breaks the pocket to the right antonio brown keeps his route going past the robber right into the hands uh uh, along the sideline there to pretty much seal the game. Remember, that was a one-score game. I, think. I was going to say, you, you brought this up earlier when we were preparing for game plan on Monday, and I had, I had forgotten about this play, and Rodney McLeod actually was asked about it post-game, and that was a, that was a game-sealing play that no if question. the Eagles get off yeah. the field, it was third and eight, third and ten, something like that, or third and long, that big completion. If the Eagles get off the field, they get the ball back with the ability to go win the game, right? So uh, that was a, a huge, huge play. Uh, obviously, that was a drive that got extended by that penalty uh, by Jannard Avery on the sideline. He had the Thompson right. penalty along the sideline, right? So uh, that that drive was pivotal. And I think when you look at, at that play in particular, I thought you you did a great job bringing that up. We almost put it uh, into Eagles game plan this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, it goes into... That was that was a coverage they did not run really all game. Uh, you didn't see that double on Antonio Brown. Uh, it was a perfect call game. for that rock combo. And, and that's perfect. one of those plays that, like, when anytime the TV shows the booth and you see that defensive coordinator just punching the table or throwing his stuff, it's those plays because that was the perfect defensive call, and it still didn't yield the results you needed because yep. Tom Brady is just so good. So when you watch a play like that, what what defense would Jonathan Gannon dial up next time? The same exact yeah, one. right. Yeah, that was not the taking perfect back the call. call. So that's one of those that you want to throw the iPad at the wall when you're watching it back because you did everything right. Yep. Um, you know, so I mean, and, and honestly, McLeod, after the game, I went back and rewatched his press conference talking about it because that was the clip I almost used that in the show this week. Um, you know, and he said, look, like, we, we knew that in that situation, Antonio Brown likely the target. We called the double. We felt good about it. And it's just two great players making a great play. Now, no Antonio Brown in this game. And we talked about how you know, it's going to be Mike Evans. It's going to be Rob Gronkowski. It will be interesting to see uh, how, A, how Bruce Arians deploys those two guys. Will, will we see those guys moved around? That's something that uh, Greg Cosell is going to talk about. One specific formation uh, with Rob Gronkowski isolated uh, to the backside of trips and Mike Evans in the slot. What is the Eagles' answer to that? Because you have to figure out uh, what that matchup is going to look like. Greg talked about it uh, earlier this week here on the show as well. Um, but I think that's going to be fascinating from a personnel standpoint. Uh, I think that you know it's been talked about, oh, the Eagles don't have anybody to match up to Rob Gronkowski. Well, remember, the Eagles don't play a ton of man coverage. So that's not a problem for a majority of plays. It's still going to be a group-by-group group, uh, a group effort. I think the, the big thing, and this is also something that's been talked about a lot, the Eagles have given up some plays to tight ends this year. They're, they're, for the most part, it hasn't been the number one tight end that has been the issue, right? And I, that, that can, it can get a little fluky when you start getting uh, into those stats. You look at what Kyle Pitts and Travis Kelsey and uh, George Kittle, right? Like what, what some of those guys have done in games against the Eagles this year. The Eagles have done a nice job against that kind of tight end, that primary pass catcher type of tight end. It's been the uh, you know the Donald Parhams that have gotten them. You know what I mean? It's been some of the, some of those fluky plays uh, from the second and third tight end uh, on the depth chart. So that, that can be a little bit uh, shaky in terms of those stats, the tight end stats. But uh, I do think that's interesting. Um, the, the Tampa Bay Bucks, by the way, um, activating Leonard Fournette, 
uh, and Levante David as well. And just talking about Fournette, um, he had a big game uh, the last time the Eagles played against him. They gave him, they did give him the ball uh, as a runner plenty in this matchup. Also caught like seven or eight passes. We talked about the screen game. Uh, if that underneath throw is there, Tom Brady's happy to take it. And Fournette was there. Just going to be a matter of how healthy is he coming into this game after being on injured reserve for the last month. Yeah, and they're a pretty no-nonsense running offense. They don't often want to run the ball. Bruce Arians is one of those kind of reluctant uh, to run it type of offensive coordinators, but a lot of inside zone, a lot of duo, a lot of vertical displacement run concepts, and they just let Fournette be a banger kind of just down the pipe, uh, which we know his nearly 240, 50-pound frame is tough to bring down. Uh, and it's tough just to stop him in his tracks. He falls forward very consistently. And if you can get him into the second and third level, I think we all know what a 240-pound back can do to some DBs out there. So uh, big, big test here, I think, for guys like TJ Edwards and Alex Singleton. All right, well, let's talk about uh, staying with the run game theme, uh, going to the opposite side of the ball. Obviously, one of the biggest matchups in this game, this Eagles rushing attack against this Bucks rushing defense, um, and it also kind of speaks to the the change from this Eagles offense. We don't need to, to get too much into it. We know this Eagles offense is a lot different right now than it was in week six, and almost watching that film is almost like futile. I don't know that, that re-watching that tape uh, tells you too much about what this game's going to look like here this weekend. Yeah, obviously, uh, the Eagles weren't the running committed team that they are now and through the back half of the season. So, and it's not just their ability to run the ball, Fran, their ability to run the ball in so many different ways. And how many games have we seen this season where maybe that first, second, third drive didn't go great. And our ability to adjust and guys with the, like the veterans on the offensive line and Jeff Stoutland in their in-game adjustments are so important. So if it looks a little frustrating in that first quarter, Give some faith that they're going to make some adjustments, see what works, see what doesn't work, because we have a deep, deep hopper of running schemes and ways to attack opposing defenses. Uh, so if they have you know, a certain way to approach how we're attacking them, we can certainly counter and make some adjustments, too. And I think we've shown that over the last month. You and I have talked a lot and we say from a coverage standpoint, there's no perfect coverage. Every coverage has weaknesses. It's the same thing with fronts. You know, you can talk about it. We, we, talk, we talked with Craig earlier this week about how you know, they, they have that 5-2 front. They've got all the different ways they utilize, you know, Vita Vea and Adam Hutsu, and they've got all these players. There's no perfect front. Otherwise, every team would run it, right? So the, the Eagles will have different runs in the playbook. Uh, are all of them going to work? No, because they, they've got some good players uh, on that side of the football. So it'll be about pushing the right buttons at the right time, having an understanding of uh, where to attack at any given play. And real quick, as we're getting into some rematches, you know, Bills Patriots third time. This is going to be our rematch here with the Bucks. A lot of self scouting too, and trying to figure out what your own tendencies are, how opponents are preparing for those tendencies, and making sure you don't show those tendencies in that next game. So the Bucks may say, "Hey, the Eagles do something eighty percent of the time out of this formation, this personnel group. We're going to allocate resources to stop that eighty percent tendency." doesn't mean the Eagles can't go another direction. So just like you said, there's no perfect defense, coverage, fronts. It's all that cat and mouse and trying to get your guys into the most advantageous situation when you think that situation is going to come. So uh, Nick Sirianni said earlier this week that he's hopeful to have all of the ball carriers uh, available to him. Miles Sanders coming off the injury to his hand. Uh, Jalen Hurts after the week of rest. Everybody uh, at full bore. You know, Boston Scott healthy. Jordan Howard healthy. In your mind, who's the most pivotal, who's the most important ball carrier for the Eagles in this game uh, going up against this Bucks defense? I think it's going to be Jordan Howard. 
Mm, because I think he's the early down guy that kind of keeps things on schedule. Uh, Miles Sanders is going to be more of that perimeter kind of satellite back that you want to get out to the outside and maybe break that home run run. Uh, but I think Jordan Howard and ball security of all these guys is going to be very, very important. I reflect back immediately to that NFC championship game with the Packers and Whitehead coming down, blasting Aaron Jones, who's a very secure ball handler, knocked him out of the game, knocked that ball out and really knocked the hopes out of the Packers last year. This Bucks team can punk you. This Bucks team plays very tough, very physical. So it's the simple things, falling forward, finishing the runs, being very physical along the sideline and protecting that ball all the way to the ground. Not just, you know, the young Miles Sanders, but Jordan Howard, Boston Scott, and Jalen Hurts as well in that conversation. So a lot of the fundamental stuff that Nick Sirianni's been preaching all summer, all season, this is the time to really make sure those fundamentals are calibrated. Yeah, I think it's uh, definitely important to note. And I think when you look at the, what the strength of this defense is, uh, look, those two edge rushers, the three edge rushers, when you count in Joe Tryon as well, it's a really strong group. But this defense is really strong up the middle. Those D tackles, linebackers, the safeties, and a number, and you just brought up a couple of those guys, right? You talk about Jordan Whitehead playing downhill. Uh, you know, we'll talk about Devin White. We'll see if Levante David is good to go here for this game. He was also uh, activated off injury reserve. That does not necessarily mean that he has a lock to play in this game, and, that, and I think that's important to note. Uh, but I think when you look at the strength of this defense, I wonder if we'll see a little bit more perimeter stuff early, and then they start to lean more into, into Jordan Howard downhill, uh, into Jalen Hurts downhill as well, and some of those QB uh, replays. But um, th that's going to be an X factor in this game is what the Eagles answer is to that Bucks off defensive front. Yeah. And before we put this conversation to bed as well, it's easy to run off some stars on this Bucks defense, Vita Vea, big guy up front. And, you know, if you have some fun edge rushers, like, you know, uh, Shaq Barrett and Devin White, Levante David, all Antoine Winfield's a really good safety. I know he hasn't had the reputation maybe as expected and we wanted. And Dominican Sue is a really, really interesting player to evaluate. Being a top five pick as a trench player, this guy does not come off the field, plays so hard in the run and the pass, has averaged over 900 snaps a season for 12 years. And Mike Renner just put out that stat saying Aaron Donald played over 1,000. It was the first time a defensive tackle has ever played over 1,000 in their charting. I think that's because Dominican Sue is such a hybrid inside-outside player. He doesn't get the D-tackle moniker. This guy is a dog. He plays all over the place. He plays so hard, does so much dirty work. And yes, he's had some questionable things from the, the kicks and the stomps and some, some things like that. And the personal fouls uh, haven't left him too endearing to the public. He is a really, really good and tough football player that doesn't get nearly enough attention uh, that he needs to. And, you know, after a Super Bowl win last year, this is a borderline Hall of Famer at this point, you know, considering what he's done in his consistency in 12 years. So whether it's JPPs of the world, you know, Indomitian Sue, Cam Haywards, you know, Calais Campbells, the vets in the trenches league, keep identifying them and give them attention because it's really, really impressive, uh, the longevity and the toughness. Yeah, and that's the thing when I look at this Bucks defense it's not necessarily that they're full of blue chip players, like guys you would say are the top five at the top five in their position in the league. Like, I don't think that you would say that about too many guys uh, on that group, but you would say like, 
there are a bunch of just really, really good players. Like, and, you know, when you talk about JPP and Shaq Barrett and Vita Vea, uh, you throw Sue in there, you throw David and White and uh, Carlton Davis is really good. That safety tandem, really good, right? So it's just a, a really good defense when they're all out there and all healthy. Um, and that's just, that's been the thing with them over the over these last uh, half of the season, right? David's been and back. Fran, I, re- I remember distinctly, distinctly in the playoffs last year and the Super Bowl, how many times you see JPP and Sue around the ball carrier, down the field, and to the yeah. sidelines. They're yeah. not making every play, but they chase every play. When your 35-year-old vets are doing that, that sets the tone and the ripple effect to all the young guys in all the locker room that this is our expectation of how you play with effort and intensity into the whistle. Uh, and to wrap up your point on Dominic and Sue as well, uh, when the when Jason Kelsey extended that start streak uh, on uh, last uh, last Saturday night, um, ESPN ran a graphic. It was like, who are the only two guys that have started more games in a row? And Sue was one of those players, just kind of speaking to uh, yeah. uh, his consistency uh, as a presence uh, wherever, wherever he's playing. Um, all right, let's get into uh, some stats that matter. Uh, I know you've pulled a, a lot of numbers for this game just in preparation for uh, this show, as well as for Eagles game plan and some of our other content. Uh, so is there a number that stands out most to you? I know you've probably got a few in the barrel here yeah we mentioned a bunch about brady is under two and a half second passing leaving the nfl in completion yards touchdowns um all this stuff in the offense to kind of help him pre-snap bunches shifts motion talked about that stuff so let's flip over to the defensive side todd bowles there is no secret what type of defensive coordinator he is he wants to send pressure 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 second in the nfl this year for and blitz rate it's now six straight years of being a top six blitz team so really fun, really consistently aggressive with his approach on defense. There is no secret. Third and medium, third and long, they are coming at you with extra bodies. You better be ready. It makes the, the run game so important in this one. You don't want to be – and the Eagles were too often in that game back in week six – too often, third and 10, third and eight, third and 12, third and 15. There were too many negative plays uh, early on in, in, in series, and that just led to, it was just a disaster in terms of uh, the stunts, the blitzes you mentioned. They're number two in blitz. They're one of the top stunting teams uh, in the league. That is something to watch here and very, very important for this run game. Keep your, keep yourself a second and medium, third and short. Uh, you know, you want to be manageable, stay on schedule as an offense. Uh, last thing, matchups. Uh, any matchups uh, for you that, that stick out to you in this one? Well, I think interesting one, conflicting styles in the trenches. Uh, obviously, Jason Kelsey and his undersized athleticism against the big hulking Vita Vea. just want to see how many times are they going to try to bang vertically or try to get Kelsey out to the perimeter or hit Vita Vea from the side with some angle blocks and things like that. So that's more of a schematic approach. I really want to see Dallas Goddard, who's now the number one tight end. Remember, he didn't play in that Thursday game. The Zach Ertz era. Remember just how different these teams are roster-wise. Um, but Dallas Goddard, his ability to block at the point in the run game gives this running scheme a lot of flexibility. So I just want to see what the Eagles think they can get away with. Do they think he can man up against a Joe Tryon or a JPP or a Shaq Barrett out there, uh, or whether he's going to need some help? Tight ends, single-blocking defensive ends in the run game, one of the biggest advantages to being versatile with your run scheme. So Dallas Goddard can do it. Let's see what they ask him to do against a really good front. I do think one of the other things, too, when talking about the tight ends, we've seen the Eagles lean a little bit more into 12 and 13 personnel uh, over the last couple of months. Uh, Tyree Jackson, really, obviously, impressive with what he does, uh, you know, and what he can do as a pass catcher and still coming along as a blocker. Uh, you hope that, obviously, the, you know, the injury, unfortunate, uh, you know, for him going into uh, into the offseason. But 
Nick Sirianni insinuated that it'll be Richard Rodgers uh, stepping in. Rodgers gives you a little bit more as a blocker, so that'll be something uh, to watch here in this game as well. For me, that matchup goes on the other side of the ball, uh, looking at Josh Sweat going up against Tristan Wirfs, uh, and that is Tristan Wirfs has been very, very good. He deserves all the accolades that he has gotten, but I think when you look at this, I, I used the term uh, earlier this week talking with Greg, the Eagles have to find ways to get quick wins, whether it's through, through scheme or skill, and Josh Sweat's going to be one of those guys that with through skill, that's a guy that you want to be able to, to try and get some of those quick wins. Uh, Tristan Wirfs, not easy to do that against, but that's why uh, this will be a big matchup to watch. Uh, certainly one I will be keeping my eye on. And then one more player uh, we want to watch here, and we're going to talk about him, Joe Tryon, the rookie pass rusher, first-round pick. Let's talk about him now in Scouting Report. Hey, Eagles fans, get ready for the game each Sunday with an exclusive look at Eagles pregame warm-ups brought to you live each week when you join myself, Amy Campbell, and Eagles insider Dave Spadaro on the kickoff show presented by Exalta. We provide Eagles-focused analysis, late-breaking news, and the team perspective that you cannot get anywhere else. The kickoff show presented by Exalta can be seen live 50 minutes before kickoff on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, and the team's social media channels. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, Ben, let's get into our thoughts here on Joe Tryon, the pass rusher who's been there, that first guy off the bench, essentially, for that Tampa Bay defensive front. They line him up up and down the line of scrimmage. Uh, he did not play in 2020. He was a guy that opted out, especially once the, the, the Pac-12, they only played like four games last year anyway. So uh, he did, you know, it was an easy decision uh, for those guys out West. What did you see from Joe Tryon now, 2019 season coming in? And what have we seen from him this year as a rookie? Yeah, one of the early opt-outs last year. I think it was one of the first we saw sign with an agent uh, last fall. It was like October or so, and he was taking pictures with his agent. But essentially a one-year player at Washington in that 2019 season, but a really good season, uh, high TFL rate, a lot of sacks, 41 QB pressures, and was a first-team preseason All-American from Phil Steele heading into 2020. Not a first-team Pac-12, first-team All-American preseason. So that was the expectations heading into 2020. Obviously opted out, but was still a first-round pick. Good special teamer. High school defensive end, tight end. He was a guy that really had the athleticism and the length and kind of looked like a Connor Barwin type where he thought maybe he could just hop on the other side of the ball and uh, get it done there as well. But stand-up or three-point stance guy, long frame, long limbs, really good at the point of attack, especially against tight ends. Balanced, controlled athlete, set very good aggressive edges in the run game, really understood his role in his gap assignment, never really cheated and tried to take too many calculated risks out there. Very disciplined player, good first step, rest in the passer. A lot of that was timing the snap count, not necessarily being an explosive athlete, but just really good uh, snap timing and awareness. Love the arm over and the swim moves. Not a guy that won high side a whole lot, a little bit stiff-hipped at times, but he played really hard was technically sound and was very disciplined. Like I had mentioned there, kind of holding his gap and being disciplined. Discipline in his pass rushes too, Fran. Whether it's retracing his rush, flowing to the ball, rarely ever got caught in no man's land behind the quarterback out there. So it was a really active player, really good one season. A lot of questions on just how to project him forward and whether that one season was a fluke or whether he was going to get better. So a uh, guy that the Bucks took, 32nd overall pick last year. I remember distinctly of Bruce Arians running that pick in there. I think we got it, uh, the NFL Network pick line, we got it in about 10 seconds. So I think that was a pick they they knew uh, they wanted there. So really fun player and just has been a rotational player. Like you had mentioned that first guy off the bench most of this year, 
Yeah, I think that's the big thing that I think is interesting is just when you talk about, and we've talked about a lot, the development of young talent. When you have a guy like in Tryon, that the tools are all there, you know, give it gives this guy a little bit of time. Uh, he stepped into a great situation, not only to learn from a couple of vets, obviously he's more similar body type wise to JPP, but he didn't have to come out and start and be the guy. Like we saw with some of the other pass rushers that got drafted ahead of him, you know, Quiddy Pay had struggles uh, this year, was not an effective player for the Indianapolis Colts, right? They, who needed that pass rush. They needed that juice right away. He was not able to give that to them right off the bus. And Tryon was not asked to be that guy for Tampa Bay for a majority of the season. I think that's going to be really good for his development. But that said, we talked about the, those uh, those Todd Bowles blitz packages. He's a big part of that. So now he can come in and not only does he not have to be that every down force, but they can use him in high leverage situations to say, hey, we, we need you to win this matchup, right? We're going to put you in position where either you're going to get a free run or we're going to find that advantageous one-on-one for you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think even going back to the preseason, had used him very creatively. Yeah. Whether it was out in space as kind of a Sam detached player, a couple of three three five schemes where he was actually off the second level. Right. Yep. A lot of mug fronts, whether he's mugging the A gap, standing up in the B gap, whether he's just lined up as a three tech in the packages. It's a guy you can play all over the place with his length, his tenacity, his versatility, can do a lot of things with. And there wasn't a whole lot of pressure to throw him in right to the lineup. So obviously went to a Super Bowl winning team that affords you that luxury of being a competitive, well-built roster. And they have guys like Anthony Nelson out there that yep. a lot of people don't know, but are really good, long defensive ends in this league. Or is it, who's 79 out there? Is it Pat O'Connor? Pat O'Connor, he's actually on injured reserve. The guy that's been getting more of those reps now has been 49. That's Cam Gill. Uh, right. he, and he, they have him coming off the edge. He's another one of these high side rushers. Yeah, but really deep front across the board there. Even guys like Raheem Nunez-Roches yep. and uh, who's the backup nose tackle out there? That um, uh, Steve McClendon. Steve McClendon. Man, Steve McClendon, I, probably not on a lot of fantasy teams out there. Steve McClendon's really respected across this league. He's a we tough have, we, we haven't mentioned William Golston yet on the podcast. William oh, Golston's an Golston's interesting player, player, too, and his kind of shift as an inside player since being a hulking defensive end at Michigan State years ago. Yeah, really fun group, but Joe Tryon, you got the luxury of going to a good roster, not a lot of pressure to contribute or do too much early on. Just contribute when we, your number is called, and he's really looked good in flashes. I think the big thing, you know, we talked, you talked about the, the Vita Vea, Jason Kelsey uh, matchup. The, the other thing is, is that when you look at the rest of this front, there's not, it's not one-on-ones, right? Because you, they're going to move all of these guys around. And so if you're Lane Johnson, you've got to prepare for, a little bit of JPP. I might see Shaq Barrett here. Hey, I might see Joe Tryon here. I might see William Golston on this rep, right? You have to prepare for all of these guys because of how multiple they are uh, in the front. So I just wanted to kind of put that ribbon on it just to, to round out uh, the discussion of the matchup. Well, Ben, uh, you and I will be talking about this next week right here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Until then, make sure you go check out uh, Ben and I over on the Journey to the Draft podcast. Uh, he and I and Dane Brugger talked about the national title game, our big takeaways from Alabama and Georgia. We'll continue uh, talking about that all over the Journey of the Draft podcast, twice weekly, wherever podcasts can be found. Great stuff from Ben, who you can follow on Twitter, just like I do, at Ben Fennel underscore NFL. And while you're at it, I'm at Eagles XOs. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's Nose content that we produce here with Eagles Entertainment. You know how much I appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on all forms of social media. That is one way to support the show, but the best way is to go on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify, leave us a rating, leave us a comment, and I want to give a shout-out today to someone who did exactly that. First in 10, left a five-star review on our Apple Podcast page saying it's a go-to podcast and a must-listen. Can't go wrong with the knowledge in the in-depth details that this podcast gives out. 
So addictive. Give me more. So first and 10, thanks so much. Appreciate the kind words. Appreciate the five-star review. Thank you to them, and thank you to everybody who has thrown us your support. That said, this show is not over. We've got one more guest here. It's time now for Faux Focus and John Ledyard. What's this matchup look like from the other side? It's time to find out in Faux Focus. All right, excited to welcome back to the show for the second time here this season, John Ledyard. You can follow him on Twitter at Ledyard NFL Draft and follow his work over at the Pewter Report co- covering this Tampa Bay Bucks team. John, welcome back, man. Hey, absolutely, Fran. Thanks for having me. It's always fun. I'm really looking forward to this matchup. I thought it was fun last time the two teams played, kind of battle of different halves in some ways, and so I'm looking forward to this one too. Yeah, and and both teams obviously uh, much different uh, than where we were uh, just a couple of months ago. As Ben said earlier in the show, uh, it was a lifetime ago from a, from an NFL mm-hmm. standpoint. And uh, much like last time, I'm going to ask you to put on your Byron Leftwich hat. Uh, and going into this matchup here in Wild Card Weekend, what is the biggest strength? For this Bucks uh, Bucks offense entering this game, what gives uh, Leftwich the most confidence in their ability to come out with a win? I think it's it's obviously. I mean, Tom Brady's the easy answer, right? Because he's yep. been here so many times, and even with the moving pieces, you know, not having Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown being gone, you know, that's still he's the guy you can count on. You know, it, it, Tom Brady's just played outstanding. The three games he's at without those guys or all those guys or some mixture of you know Evans and AB being out or Godwin being out or whatever it's been. Brady's been outstanding in those three games. Obviously not the the best competition in those three games, but I think, you know, it was a similar story at the end of last season when they closed uh, and entered the playoffs pretty hot. And so this has a lot of similarities to last season, honestly, in in a lot of ways. And I think Leftwich should be confidence of knowing that guys have been there on this stage before is big. And the pass protection is another big part of it. Like, I think that he knows that his group has performed really well up front. They performed really well up front against the Eagles last time the two teams met. I know there's a lot of changes since then, but if you're Leftwich, I think you're going in saying, okay, I know that we can do this. I know they're going to give us, you know, quick game stuff, and maybe they can be a little more ready for some of that stuff uh, going into the game, but still going to look different. No, Chris Godwin, no Antonio Brown. They played in the last game. Robert Gronkowski didn't play in the last game. So there's a lot of differences offensively, and I think it'll affect the game plan too. And the other big thing too is that the, the guys that are going to suit up are coming either coming off into reserve or a little bit dinged up. So I want to ask you just we're recording this late Wednesday, so obviously you don't have all the information as of this point. But uh, Mike Evans, he was dealing with a, was a hamstring injury right mm-hmm. late in the year. Uh, Leonard Fournette just activated off injured reserve, so uh, he started practicing on Wednesday. Uh, thoughts on just this guy, Cyril Grayson? I know got dinged up mm-hmm. uh, in the last game as well. Thoughts on all of those guys heading into this game? Some of their biggest weapons. Yeah, Mike Evans is good to go. He's 100%. I don't think he'll even be on the injury report this week, probably, except maybe to, to come off of it. Uh, and then Leonard Fournette is good to go as well. I think that was just really precautionary. They really wanted people healthy for the playoffs. So for the offensive guys, both those guys will play, and I don't think there'll be much restriction uh, at all, and even on Leonard. And then uh, I think for Grayson, it sounds like he's doubtful from what Aaron said today. So don't know if he's going to play. That's been an evolving position for them. They've tried everybody and some guys have flashed you know i think brashad perryman was probably going to be the new number two and then grayson and tyler johnson were going to split as the the third amount mona reps but perryman had covid and so he was out for a little while and so that it's been like nobody's consistently stepped in or even had the opportunity because of injuries or whatever to step in and, and seize the new number two role or or new number three role so you'll see you'll see scotty miller you'll see tyler johnson and you'll see brashad perryman those three guys will rotate all around Mike Evans and Rob Gronkowski in this game. And I know Gronkowski was dealing with an injury really for the, the large chunk of the middle of the season. He missed that game uh, back in week six against this Eagles defense. Uh, where is he health wise right now? Is he like, you know, he's completely in the clear. 
Yeah, he's completely in the clear, and uh, he's had an unbelievable season. Uh, people don't, I don't think, to maybe because there's just so many guys in Tampa Bay, but he's incredible, friend. Like just the catches, the ability to get open. You know, people want to talk about speed, but I don't know if he's ever been that fast. He gets by everybody. No. I don't know. You know, it's just he is uh, truly a pretty special player at a special season. I think if he had played all 16, I think he was on, or 17, I guess now, he was on pace for nearly 1,300 yards this season. That's the kind of year for a tight end at his age. I mean, with his history, what he's been able to do to keep his body in tip-top shape, uh, even coming off out of all the injuries that he's had. It's, it's pretty incredible to watch. No doubt. Uh, similar to uh, what his quarterback uh, is doing at his mm-hmm. age. Uh, let's go over to the other side of the football and put on your Todd Bowles hat. Uh, the biggest strength on defense coming into this game, uh, a little bit different on that side of the ball as well because of injuries and uh, some areas getting healthier uh, than what we saw in week six biggest strength is that you might, and we'll see what happens with Levante David, Shaq Barrett and Jason Pierre Paul are going to play. I think they're going to be fine. Um, we'll see what happens with Levante David. He is going to be kind of a game time decision. If I'm guessing, I think that he does play, but we'll see how he progresses throughout the week. Wednesday was just a walkthrough. Um, so Thursday and Friday are very important days to see how he looks, how healthy he is, how much he can practice, how much he can move. Um, but that's probably the biggest key because they have not played a single snap this season with all their starters on defense. So it really, they've only played a couple with all their starters in the secondary. And that came last week against Carolina. And then Jamel Dean got hurt in like the second quarter. And so that's barely, I mean, they've barely done that with the first snaps together as a secondary, as a starting secondary, we're in week 18. So having everybody back is, is the, is what gives you confidence. If you're bulls, like there's a chance everybody on defense that's really played this season. You know, Richard Sherman hadn't really played, uh, could be health healthy and active and good to go for this game, which would be really big against an offense that's playing much better football right now in Philly than they were when they met at week six. I think that would be a huge one. Remember last time they played the Eagles, they didn't have no Carlton Davis, no Sean Murphy bunting, no Levante David. There were a lot of injuries, no Antoine Winfield. And those are some of the, I mean, those are three of their best defensive players uh, that weren't in that game. And so I think they would say, okay, we, we played pretty well last time we gave up, 120 some yards and penalties and, and obviously a 50 and 45 yard pass interference plays that put them in goal to go situations. Obviously the Eagles defense or offense has changed so much since the last meeting. So there's going to be that level of adjustment, but I think knowing, okay, we did that without all our top guys. And now, you know, we got to get more of our top guys out there. Philly was down a couple people too, but I think they've Bowles will probably feel like with his top guys, he's got a chance to, to put a hurting on Philly in this one. I think it's going to be interesting because even just kind of going through uh, the schedule for Tampa Bay, they haven't seen a run game like this one, not just in terms of like volume and efficiency, but in terms of the quarterback run element being a part of it, you know, a little bit of Taysom Hill, uh, Cam Newton over the last few weeks, but obviously he was not a full-time player. Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, it was tough to, to kind of get a sense of how they're going to try and defend that matchup. It is tough. And last time they actually kind of prepared for it. I'm Bruce Aaron's talked about it a lot, how they prepared for it a bunch. I don't recall it. I have to go back and watch the rewatch the game at the end of this week. Once my work schedule clears up a little bit more, but I don't recall it being a huge factor in that game at all. Maybe late in the game. I know there were a couple runs the Eagles got when they were in the nickel dime defense and they were really expecting the Eagles to pass that that last scoring drive for Philly was really where they piled up their, their rushing totals against the bucks. They were misfitting a couple runs. And so I, I don't, yeah, they're right you're right there hasn't been like a huge test of it a couple times with josh allen that didn't go well they did better against Taysom hill they've always done pretty well against Taysom hill in the rushing department 
Cam Newton got one big run against them. They did well throughout the rest of the second or uh, the rest of that game. After that one big run, they they did really well with it. But you're right, it, it's different. Um, Philly's going to present a lot of challenges. Um, you know, Bruce Aaron's talked a lot about RPOs and things like that today, and how they're preparing to stop that element of of Philly's offense and how much that is even evolved and changed since early in the season. And so there will be uh, plenty of challenges, no question about it, for the Bucks defense. Communication and, and tackling really is going to be – that's an area they've struggled in this season, and so that's going to be a huge issue. So if you are uh, Bruce Arians and you're going to put your Bruce Arians hat on, uh, you got you got that Kangle hat on, uh, what, is your, what is your thought in terms of the biggest concern coming into this matchup? I think the biggest concern is the lack of focus that they've shown defensively. Like, it's – it's, I mean, you, you kind of said it, well, it, they haven't faced a lot of offenses like Philly. So the focus, I think, in communication will be really critical. And if Levante's out there, Arians feels a lot better about that. If he's not out there, then it's definitely pretty questionable. You know, lately, especially, it's not been a strength of the group. Way too many blown assignments by the linebackers. Devin White and Kevin Minter have really, really struggled. And so I, I think that that's, that's your biggest concerns if you're going to the game and you're like, okay, where are we maybe a little bit vulnerable? That to me makes the most sense for them. Just like we haven't really defended the run that well. We've been bitten by a lot of like trick plays and like fakes and things like that. We've gotten out of our assignments way too easily. We've played hero ball a little bit too much at different positions. We haven't played good team defense and we've started games slow. I mean, you give up touchdowns in the first two drives of the game to the jets and you give up a score to the Panthers and let the Panthers really drive all over you in the first half, you know, and have to make goal line stands, you know, to avoid touch. That's not how you want to live defensively. And there's an element to bulls defense. That's always going to live in that dangerous space because he relies so much on sacks and splash plays. Uh, to get by defensively, but you don't want to come out every game putting your offense in a hole, especially because your offense is down a couple of people and they're still figuring things out, even though they've played well enough against weak competition toward the end of the season. I think that that's your defense has, has, has the, uh, according to one graph that I saw this past week, they have faced the easiest strength of schedule of any defense in the NFL. So yeah, they're fifth in scoring defensively, but I can just tell you from watching all their games, you know, this year and studying the all 22 that there's an asterisk on that because of the competition and the quarterbacks they've spent most of their time playing against the season. So are Hurts and Philly good enough to take advantage of that? I think that's what, if you're Arians, you're, you're most worried about. You know you're going to put up some points probably, and you know Brady's going to find a way to move the ball and do some good things offensively, I think. But defensively, I think we have yet to figure out this, how good this team can be because they really have not played up to their potential. And injuries have had something to do with that. But even when healthy, you know, there's been way too many inexcusable mistakes by the defense. You, you mentioned Devin White there, and I wanted to kind of ask you about it. Obviously, with Levante David out, uh, he could potentially be under the spotlight even more. And he's got two things working in his favor, I think, just from, like, national scope, right? He's a, a former top-10 pick, freak athlete, and also showed up on a huge stage last year in the postseason, certainly uh, in the Super Bowl. But watching him this year, what has been your take uh, on him? How do you feel like he should be uh, presented right, from the, the national uh, the tiering system uh, of these linebackers? Does he belong in that upper echelon uh, of the, uh, you know, the, the Fred Warners and the Darius Leonard's and that type, or is he more a tier two below that? He's definitely below that. I wish I could tell you he was higher, but uh, you know, those two playoff games last year, I think that you're thinking of, especially the Saints game, yep. the Packers game, he was good too, to a degree, and the Chiefs game is Super Bowl. Um, those were really great games from him. Play games that I honestly didn't see coming, and I'd never. I mean, the Saints game is one of the best games I've ever seen by a linebacker ever before. And I thought, man, if he could just channel that. I mean, going into the year, I don't know if you remember this. ESPN did a poll of like top 50, 60 NFL execs and coaches and scouts and all that, uh, and they ran it. And Devin White was the number one linebacker in the NFL going into the season in their mind. 
I, I at the time said that that was ridiculous, but did he have the potential to get there based on how he played in the postseason? Had the light bulb come sure. on? It wasn't crazy to think that. I mean, that's how good he was in some of those games, but it just hasn't happened this year. You know, he, he again, I, one thing that Kate always will come up with me if you play out of control as a player in the NFL, it's not, you could do it in college to a degree and you can get by with athleticism and just being bigger, stronger, and more athletic than everybody else. But if you're out of control in the NFL, even just average athletes who have the instincts to know how to move, to make you miss and to avoid you and to make you look worse, um, you're going to get exploited a lot. If you play with no instinct and no feel and no ability to throttle down and process while on the moves. And that's, that's really his biggest his biggest weakness is just he just plays too fast and too out of control. And so with that comes kind of this hero ball mentality, and he'll get himself out of gaps and he'll get himself out of coverage assignments. And, um, you know, just against the Panthers, he got himself out of a run gap, gave up a big run. He blitzed uh, at a time where he should have stayed home, picked up the running back coming out of the backfield. They hit a big screen behind him. Uh, and so there's a couple of those things every game that kind of give you concerns. And he could still make a splash play here or there, but there's been few and far between this season compared to last season. So there's no question is one of the biggest things on the list for the Bucs is he, he has to play way better in the postseason like he did last year if they're going to be as good as they can be defensively. Yeah, I mean, there's the, the number that uh, we saw the, earlier this week. Levante David, when he's been in the lineup, uh, four yards a carry against this defense on the ground. When he's out of the lineup, five yards a carry. So obviously a, a huge impact uh, that David can have. And it's you can kind of see with you know, the loss if, if White is the guy uh, where that can get a little bit leakier. Uh, last question for you. Most pivotal matchup uh, in this game Sunday afternoon in your mind? I think in, it's got to be for the Bucks. It's got to be offensive, you know, defensively, although the Eagles are, are a challenge, uh, you know, offensively, I think it's more like the scheme and the element rather than just any one player. Um, but offensively, yeah, I think it's Mike Evans and Darius Slay. Um, you know, that's probably the one a lot of people will point to. And I probably wouldn't say that one if Chris Godwin or Antonio Brown were healthy, because right. it wouldn't really matter that much, but especially with you saying the Eagles are playing a little bit more man coverage. Now, you know, Slay's probably going to get that, Mike Evans assignment and you know Mike Evans gets a lot of double coverage but it's not true double coverage he just runs a ton of vertical routes and most teams play like two high safeties against the Bucs so he's gonna find himself covered a lot of the sure, time against yep. those and it opens things up for other people like it does and if you have a guy like Evans it forces teams to do some of that stuff and play two high safeties and it should open up stuff for your run game and things like that so We'll just have to see, you know, Philly, obviously their calling card defensively has pretty much been preventing big plays. I mean, you know, every Bucks player has talked about it. They've noticed it. And obviously the Bucs love to find big plays, but what's better about their offense now is if compared to last year, you know, at least last year, end of the regular season was that they, they just have more answers. Now they have more ways to find big plays. If you're going to play soft on them, they can find a more short intermediate big plays than they did a year ago. So it's going to be a big challenge still though. I mean, you know, Slay is such a good player and having such a good year and Evans is having a good year as well. But the thing about Evans that makes his, him, his presence next to Godwin and AB's absence more stock in some ways is that Godwin and AB can move all around. They can play all three receiver positions. They can run screens. You can get them the ball on, on automatic touches, you know, kind of just manufactured touches, or you can get them the ball down the field for a big 40 yard gain. And, and Evans really isn't that type of player. He's probably better vertically, maybe in some ways than those guys. And again, it's just pure man coverage. Like it's hard to stop him, but he's not like a variety of usage player like those guys are. So it does become a little bit easier to scheme against the Bucks. So I think that him being able, and he already said, you know, I'm, I'm going to move around this week. And, you know, so he, he gave away part of the game plan, but uh, you know, I think that's one of the keys is that if he moves around, he's got to be able to be effective from different alignments. If they get him away from slay and he plays inside, he's got to be smart in terms of how he runs routes. He screwed up too many routes this year for a veteran receiver when he plays inside 
He's got to be able to see things, the field, the way that he should see it for as an inside receiver in order for that offense to have the most success it can have. Yeah, it's one of those things that made Godwin uh, so good because uh, how how he has worked uh, the middle of the field for Tom Brady. John, uh, this has been awesome, man. Really appreciate it. Again, everybody go out and follow John on Twitter at Ledyard NFL Draft. John, thanks so much, man. We'll talk to you again soon. Absolutely, Fran. Thanks for having me. John, always great to catch up with him, either whether it's here or over on the Journey to the Draft podcast. Now, uh, a little bit more analysis here for this Eagles-Bucks matchup. We're going to go over to our Eagles game plan crew. John Clark, Ike Reese, Mike Quick, Greg Cosell. Due to time constraints, couldn't squeeze all of this analysis into the 30-minute show, but I kept it all for you right here. And you have large athletic linemen on the Eagles. You have a matchup in the middle, Vita Vea, 350 or more. He's a large human against Jason Kelsey. Do you want to get Vita Vea off of that matchup and, like you said, get him running around so he's not on Kelsey? That's exactly what you want. Kelsey's going to have help with the guards on some of the double teams, but when you're getting Kelsey out on the perimeter, when you're getting Jordan Mailata out on the perimeter, that's when you can really make hay and get the backs behind them. And once they get to the perimeter, they can pick and choose where they're going to go, where they're going to get downhill. You move gaps, especially on the stretch play, when you start to get out on the perimeter and you allow the running backs to pick their gap and hit it north-south. And with Jeff Stoutland, his inventory and the wide variety of runs, is this one of these games where that really helps out all the different things that this line can do? Yeah, it really does. I mean, and we have multiple styles of running backs. You got Jordan Howard, if he's able to go, he's more of a north-south guy. He's going to get downhill to the hole. Boston Scott can give you a little bit of power and he can give you a little speed on the outside. And then I like Kenny Gainwell along with Miles Sanders as the speed guys. Can't overstate it enough. When you have big guys like Tampa has in that middle, you want to get them running east and west. It's a longer distance for them to have to travel. Mike mentioned it earlier. This benefits you when you get to that second half, fourth quarter, and you're wearing these guys down from having them run east and west as opposed to running directly at them. Well, great stuff from everybody who appeared on this week's uh, editions of the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. And thank you to all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcasts here with Eagles Entertainment. That being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the NovaCare Complex, I'm Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week. When the clock hits all zeros, the game might be over, but the action is not. Join us for the post-game show presented by Rico for instant reaction. Watch live as Coach Nick Sirianni and Eagles players come to the podium and meet with the media. We will make sure you do not miss a word. Myself, Ike Reese, and Gabriella DiGiovanni will also break down the game live at the desk and hear from Eagles insider Dave Spadaro to get his thoughts. The post-game show presented by Rico can be seen on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, and the team's social media channels.